Hello, dental online trainers, Dr. Hartlieb here with you again. Welcome back to our ShareCast. And today I continue my conversation with who I refer to as the Michelangelo of composite dentistry, Dr. Newton Fall. In part one of our ShareCast, Newton shares how his two dental loves intermingle, composite dentistry and teaching. It's a wonderful conversation into the insights of who I believe is one of the best educators in dentistry. In the second part of our conversation, Newton talks about his life as a child of a dentist. In fact, not just a dentist, but a dental educator as well. What a coincidence, huh? Crazy as it may seem, though, for those who know Newton, he wasn't planning on becoming a dentist. And how many times do we hear these stories of these incredible dentists, circuitous routes that ultimately lead them into dentistry? How lucky we are in the world of dentistry and how crazy these stories are. Well, anyhow, kick back and relax and enjoy our continued conversation with Dr. Newton Fall. All right, Dental Online Trainers. Hi, I'm Dr. Dennis Hartley, and welcome back to part two of our conversation with Dr. Newton Fall. If you did not listen to part one, uh, you must stop. You must push pause. You must go rewind and go back to part one. Because Newton, um, we just spent, I don't know how much time just talking about educating adults and learning as adults. And it's absolutely fascinating. And for those in private practice, I will tell you, this is absolutely how you have to be, have to be thinking when you're talking to your patients. So even if you're not teaching, this is how you have to be thinking when you're talking to your patients, both adults and for your, your kids. All right. So in part one, we I introduced Newton and where we where we tangented off Newton was I was talking about your award that you had received for from the American Academy of Aesthetic Dentistry for your teaching and that was back in 2008 and then that led us into your teaching um, philosophy and sort of some of the background behind it for those who don't know about Newton he's from Brazil he's from the town of Curtiba and so for those of you who don't know about Brazil and I don't know about much about Brazil so I googled it how about that it's like the fifth largest country by area sixth by by population so it's a it's a dang big country if you look on the map it's really really big I want to know what it was like growing up in uh, your town you grew up in Curtiba right no I am actually from Londrina I was born oh. in Londrina upstate so you're that's what a couple of hours away from Curtiba it is about, if I from the map yeah it's it's, it's about five hours Oh, that far. Okay. It didn't look that far when I was looking at the map. All right. So that's your dad was a dentist and I'm super curious. I, I, my dad was not a dentist and many of the people that I've interviewed, I'm trying to think if there's anyone, I don't know if there's anyone that's been on our sharecast that their dad has been a dentist. So I've been super curious over the years. Newton is the influence of your dad as a dentist. And I want to start out first when you're a young kid. So you're say like in in grammar school, you're a young kid and your dad is a dentist. What do you remember from those, from those years, your dad being a dentist? Oh, I loved him. I loved him as a dentist because I I would uh, see him come home after practice. And sometimes he would even come home for lunch and he would sit at the table and chit chat about how things were going. And he was always so... Uh, enthusiastic about his profession. So that really made a difference. You know, I sort of was just listening and and soaking it all in. And in a way, you know, later on, it must have made a difference in how I made my decision to to become a dentist. So your dad was in in private practice and he also taught taught at the university at the dental school, correct? That is correct. Yeah. My dad was a professor of radiology, dental radiology at the dental school 
Andrina State University, and he was in private practice and he was a GP. And my dad would do everything, you know, endopros. And my dad, <laughs> he, he must, he's 94. He's still alive. Thank God. He's 94. So he went to school and way, way back when, and it was only three years. And it was the, it was the top dental school in Brazil, USB school in Sao Paulo. And uh, so he moved to Londrina from another state to Londrina. He settled there. So he became a very uh, well-known dentist. And because he is such a nice guy, you know, a lot of people would love coming to him as their dentist. And I, as a kid, as you know, growing up, I would come to the office and just be there. And I remember that I would love to play with Mercury, you know, <laughs> and I, <laughs> you can't tell this well, to everyone. What a great toy to give out during the holidays. Oh yeah. And he'd give me the little vials with Mercury and we just keep playing with it. And you're well, still alive. This is fantastic. I'm still alive, you know, to say the least, but you know, I would love to see him work and I just, sit back and watch him work. And what, what did you like? Well, so take me back. You're, and so I'm thinking you're 10, 11, 12 years old. And you're watching your dad work. What were you seeing that you liked so much? I've always liked working or playing with my hands. I've always been skilled in, in modeling clay and things like that and, and drawing. And I would really enjoy seeing him do what he did with his hands and everything seemed to me so diverse and so eclectic and so fun because lots of toys, you know, lots of materials and things like that. And I didn't like the noise of the drill, you know, the high speed right. and that that really was. So you're uh, the one, you're the only person I've ever heard say they don't like the sound of the high, high oh, speed Oh man. And yeah, so that was the thing, but it really fascinated me just to see him move around and, and treat patients and converse with patients. He, my dad was always has always been a very nice guy, nice guy, literally, and everybody loved him, mm -hmm. still do to, to this day. So, yeah, so that made a tremendous influence, I think, indirectly, he sort of yeah. set back in the you know back of my mind as to what it would mean to become a dentist. However, I was not going to go into dentistry. So going back, you're seeing your dad and I mean, far, part of it is that he, you're seeing the things he's able to create. He's using his hands and you can relate to that because you like doing stuff also. But then you also see where the patients are like, you know, Dr. Fall, you're the best. I love you. And I don't know how to say that in Portuguese, but I'm sure that they were saying that, right? <laughs> right. They were giving me hugs, right? I would assume hugs. And there was all this admiration and, and it's not a super populous town. So I'm sure your dad was recognized in the community. Yeah. Absolutely. That's yeah. very true. That's very yeah. true. So that yeah. had to be like this super cool influence for you. Like growing up, you're like, my dad's like this cool guy. He's doing some super cool stuff and, and people love him. So that had to be like this relief sort of like that had to be a really sort of positive influence. Yeah. But above all that, that had an influence on me, but above all, I think what really made an influence was he was happy. About ah. what, he was truly happy about his profession. Yeah. He, he loved being a dentist. He just loved yeah. being a dentist, period. What, what, what did he love so much about it? Do you think it was like the combination of like being able to use the hands and then getting getting sort of this respect and this admiration? Do you think it was for your dad? Do you think it was sort of like that joined together? Well, he, he was always fond of being in the healthcare business. Ah. I mean, he enjoyed treating 
disease. Being a GP, he would do from third molars, surgery, perio, endo, everything. Mm -hmm. And he would love to see people recover from their illnesses. And, uh, and he would brag about it. He would say, Hey, listen, you know, I did this to this patient and he's so happy now he's healthy again. So bringing the health component into that realm was what to me really stood out and me watching from afar, I would admire the, the hand thing, you know, yeah. the manual thing, playing with it and doing and all that, that I, which I liked so much. I wasn't really so much fond of my, of the relationship with other people at that point. Sure. Which you later came, couldn't appreciate it. I could. Yeah. But which later came to be. Yeah. My, but, my cat just joined. Uh, so this is Chip for those who are watching this Chip the cat and he's hey, it's dinner hey, time and he says like, hey, <laughs> but hey, we'll hey, just we'll cat. just keep him comfortable here. So you said then, but dentistry was not what you were going to do. So what were you looking at and sort of talk us walk us back through where you were when you were sort of this adolescent or young adult? What were you thinking? Right. Yeah. I wanted to be an architect. And uh, so I, as part of my high school senior year, I took uh, a class on as a draftsman to be to be a draftsman. And so I learned about drawing plans and and everything, and it really fascinated me. And because I I had the skills for drawing and I, I loved it, and I said, well, this is what I want to do. You know, I like the design part of it. I like the aesthetic part of it. I want to be an architect. But one day when I told my dad that I was going to be an architect, my dad sat down with me and said, well, son, you know, being an architect may be a good profession for you, but these are the limitations. And Mm -hmm. he laid them out very clearly on what the market presented, what it would show ahead. And at the time, being an architect, wasn't such a big deal, professionally speaking, you know, tough tough career, right? I mean, tough in the States to be an architect, boy, it, I mean, you really got to want to be an architect because man, it is a tough career path. Same in Brazil. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Same, Same in Brazil. So he walked me through the hardships that I would be facing. Should I decide to be one? But he always told me that I should do whatever I wanted to do. So if you want to be a car mechanic, be it, but be happy doing what you want to do. That's great advice. If you want to be an attorney, be happy doing what you want to do. I'm not here to tell you what you need to do. I chose dentistry because I love it. I'm happy doing it. And you should be the same. But, and here's, here's the quote, whatever you do, be the best at what you do. No kidding. How old were you when he said that to you? Do you remember? Oh, a 12. No way. Yeah, yeah. Whatever you choose, whatever you decide you should do, be the best at what you do, because life opens up doors for those who are the best at what they do. And there mm-hmm. there will be competition when you grow up. Right. And love what you do and be the best at what you do. And they're intermingled mm-hmm. and interchangeable and interlinked. Yep. Uh, love what you do and do what you love and you you should be happy. And that's it. So and then I decided I, I, I wouldn't go into architecture, but then I didn't know what I wanted to do. So at the time, I had just come back from my 
exchange program here in Indiana, Columbus, Indiana. That was 1980. So you were a junior in high school that year? I was a senior. Senior. Was a senior. Okay. Yeah, then I, I redid my senior year. So I went through the Rotary Exchange Program, the Rotary Foundation. Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I came back and I'd been studying English as a second language all my life as a, you know, since I was a kid. So I was uh-huh. fluent in English ever since. We spoke English at home. And I, I got to liken the thing and the language part, and I, I got deep into it and literature and, and grammar. I was actually one of the top students in the, in the honor roll of my class when I was in Columbus. In, when you're in Columbus, Indiana. So let me tell people about Columbus, Indiana. So I'm sure most of our listening audience don't know Columbus, Indiana, but it's uh, it's east of Bloomington, Indiana, about probably right. about an hour or so. Bloomington, Indiana is where the University of Indiana is. And Columbus is known for having hotels if you're going to an event in Bloomington, you stay in Columbus because there's hardly any hotels in Bloomington. So if you want to go to, say, a basketball game and it's so, you know, or a graduation event, then you end up staying in Columbus because there's hardly any hotels in Bloomington. So Columbus, um, Columbus Indiana has a population, I would guess, of less than 20,000 people, 30,000 people. It's a very small, small town. town, a little bit of rolling hills, cornfields, uh, right? I mean, it's Cummins, just a, engine it's, company. So it's a completely unassuming, quintessential, small town USA. If you've ever seen the movie Hoosiers, that would give yeah. you a good feel for what Columbus, Indiana would be like. Is that Am I, am I on track? You're right. John Cougar Mellencamp. Yeah, there you go. John <laughs> Cougar. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that is correct. And Bloomington has got a fantastic music school. Yes. Fantastic music school. So, yeah. At any rate, I so sorry. Back. I just had to interrupt. I had oh, to no, that's, that's fine. That's fine. No. And it, it's, I'm glad you, you know the, the, the place. I still have a very good friend I made there, Lars Halverson. We still keep contact. Uh, anyway, so I came back and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And then I went on to teach English for a year and a half. Where, yeah, where so did you teach? I, I taught at uh, high school. I was ah. a high school teacher for uh, for some time. Yeah, for a in year in Brazil. In Brazil, in Brazil. Ah. And then one day I had this epiphany. I said, "No, it's time to move on. What am I gonna do?" No kidding. So I wrote down everything that I wanted to be, uh, what I would want of a profession. What would I want in and of a profession for myself? So I wanted to be independent. I wanted to uh, work with something where I could use my hands. I wanted to. I wanted to work with something where it could be artistic. I wanted to work with something where I could relate to people, and I wanted to be my own boss. And I, I, I liked the biology side of education. And then I started adding up said, well, what are the professions that could give me that which which I want? Can I interrupt you for a second, Newton? So in in the U.S., we follow a track of going from high school to undergraduate college, and then from undergraduate, then we will then go into our professional school or maybe do a gap year or whatever. So did you go then from high school? Is that traditional in Brazil also? Are you able to... So did you go to undergraduate college I don't no, I didn't. No, I didn't. I went straight from high school to it's... dental school. So I, I was 23 when I got into what well, actually when I finished my dental degree. So you don't need to have an undergraduate degree to go from to go into dental school. In you don't. 
Okay. All right. You don't. You don't. Is it typical to go high school right into dental school in Brazil? Oh, that's, or? that's our educational system. That's the way okay. it is. However, this is very interesting. Our educational system makes it so that in high school, in our there are four years of high school, you have so much stuff. I mean, you have so much stuff in all areas, you know, biology, mm-hmm. mathematics, language, grammar, history, geography, what name name it, that when you are done, it's very much like you haven't gone through uh, undergraduate, like a two years of college mm-hmm. or three years of college, depending if you're going three uh, pre-med. Right. And I know that because when I was doing my senior year, and in Columbus, I knew stuff that these guys, those guys didn't have a clue. I mean, I had had things that they didn't know about in mathematics mm-hmm. and in, in history and geography. So this part of the, maybe it's too much. I don't know. But we survive right. anyway. So right. Right. It's, it is the system that they have, which is, it's, you know, it's the system. It yeah. So we go straight from high school into uh, professional school. I'm curious. And so when you're in high school, so that's why it's so like, it's kind of critical then, like there's many students or many, you know, many young adults uh, in the States that will go to college to figure out what they want to be or what they want to do. But it sounds like that's more happening in your experience. You got to sort of get that sort of figured out when you're in high school. Is that accurate or am I off? It is correct. And that's That's a a lot of pressure. That's a lot of pressure for a high schooler, right? It is a lot of pressure, and that's a shame because yeah. a teenager has no idea what he. My, or she. my brain at seventeen was like, <laughs> "Please, <laughs> yeah." So yeah. yeah, that that kind of thing, you know. So yeah, well, it's I interesting. Like, I mean, it's a system that works, but it's just interesting that it's you know, in in its difference, and it's you know, it's neither right or wrong. It's just a different way, but obviously, yeah. it works because you have continued to be able to create wonderful professionals in in all sorts of different ways. So it's just different, right? There's different expectations and stuff as people yeah. are growing up. A few guys will drop out and they, they realize that's not what they want to do. And then they happens get, happens here in the States, right? How many people end up going into a profession or they're pre-med and undergrad and then they're like, no, this is not what I want to be doing. I want to actually uh, I want to I want to dance for a living. <laughs> I gotta get out of yeah, this. Yeah. Right. Well, in my case, I spent a year and a half doing something else. And so, so but you were teaching, talk. which sort of brings on sort of where you are in your life and stuff like that. It's sort of like coming sort of full circle, right? I mean, you you sort of found your way into the arts. You found your way into what you want to do in dentistry. But here you are back to where you started when you were 20 years old. That is true. Just a different venue. That is true. And I think that just sort of brings into the, the equilibrium of our lives, right? The, the, the who we are. And when things all sort of shake out and you allow life events to sort of happen, we're going to find our equilibrium. We're going to find out where we're supposed to be. And so often, I was just talking to Greg Kinzer. He was one of our, our share casts and his dad's a principal in high school. And now Greg's running, you know, in some degree, sort of the Spear Institute. And he's got to like deal with teachers like Jeff Rouse and others. I'm like, you're like a principal now. You're like your dad that he watched grow up as a principal because you got to sort of have the educational stuff, but you also got to manage all the, you know, all the bad teachers and stuff and the bad students. But I think it's interesting how, you know, what goes around comes around, you know, sort of the cycle and stuff. I think that's super interesting. So anyhow. I digress. You taught for a year and a half. You sat down, you wrote down your list of things that made sense to you, that this is things that you would find fulfilling and stuff. And you looked at that list and you said, dentistry is it. How funny is that? 
dentistry is it. So needless to say, my dad was very happy when I well, said- Well, I was going to ask you that. Oh, yeah. He, he never, never once said, you should go into dentistry. So when I told him I wanted to, of course, he backed me up 100%. Do you have siblings? Do you have any other kids in the family? I have two sisters, older do, sisters. Have they, have they gone into dentistry? No, I have my oldest sister- is eight years older than I am. And she is a psychologist. And the other sister is five years older than I am. She is a nurse and she is in academia. And uh, so nobody's gone into dentistry. Can I ask a question about your dad with um, when he was in uh, head of radiology? Did you recognize that when you were a kid before you went to dental school that he was sort of having these two different hats? He was private practice and he's also at the university. Did you, did you recognize that? I did. And I loved it about him because I love the diversity of his life. That's one of the things that I love about my life is uh, being in private practice and being a teacher because I couldn't possibly just be a private practitioner. And I don't think just, yeah. So I, I could toggle from there. So I looked at him and you know and sometimes i would as as a kid i would go to the dental school and just sneak in and sit in the back and watch him lecture and 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 teach and i admired that a lot about him so that certainly made an impact on my vision of what being a teacher could mean or being a professor could mean so cool walk me through when you went to dental school then so you're now so was it atypical then someone like you who had been out in the real world doing whatever for a couple of years few years and then they come back into dentistry or was that relatively typical in brazil that someone would be not from high school right into dental school like what what percentage of your classmates were like you that had done something different than going from high school into dentistry oh uh, zero. zero. Oh, oh no yeah. kidding yeah, it wow. was very unique. It was very unique. Mm-hmm. Now, what we did find in my class was because you have to pass this exam, right? Sure. Like in the U.S., you have SAT, and then you have to to have certain standards and a right. GPA and things like that. Here, we have the same, and so and it was it was re- as it is today. It was really hard to get in, sure, because you had to have really high grades, right? And so most of the guys and girls in my class had been trying to get in for the, let's say for two years Mm. in a row. So they were a little older than average, but not that they were doing something else. They were working or or, or teaching like I was. They were just studying hard to pass the board, to pass the, the, the exam. Gotcha. It's a lot, a lot of people today do a gap year where they can go and work to improve their grades, improve their test scores, stuff like that. So they get yeah. done with undergrad and then they got to go back and they're just just trying to kill it so they can then make that next step. That's super interesting. That's uh, And for those out there who are listening and watching, keep at it. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. If this is what you want to do without, you know, you've heard me talk. It's an awesome, awesome, awesome career, awesome profession. It's certainly difficult and challenging in so many different ways. But man, if you want it, just keep going at it. Keep, keep, keep at it. And um, do you mind if I say something to that? So I took the exam, entrance exam three times. I had to take it three times to get in. I didn't pass the first. I didn't pass the second. And I, I, I had to take them and they were six months apart. So I didn't pass the first one. I had to study for six months, took the second one, didn't pass, took the third one. And then I passed. Thanks for so, sharing that. Oh, well, man, 
Yeah, because you know Truly. people think, oh, you're you know some people think, oh, everybody's who's out there and up there have always been so bright, and it's always been so easy for you to to accomplish things. Not so. I mean, there are a lot of rocks to crack to get to where you want. Anyone who thinks it's super easy, just hang out with any of us and have a drink with us. We'll tell you about <laughs> the realities because it's not, it's just not. There's so many obstacles and you just got to be, what's the old saying? It's not how many times you're knocked down. It's how many times you get up. Right. And that's, uh, you know, in, in any endeavor, just get back up, get off the mat, you know what, and um, take the test again, study and really push, push yourself. And uh, that's really, that's really interesting to hear. I'm glad you shared that. Thank you so much. I want to share something for, with you. So for those who are watching this, Newton, you're going to love this. You're just going to love this. So I got to tell a story. I first saw Newton uh, many, many years ago. And Newton, you don't know this story because I haven't shared this with you. I think it was, what was the year I'm going to tell you right now? It was oh 1997. So for those who are watching, you can see what Newton looks like. And I'm guessing you're about 30 years old here. Is that maybe 31, 32-ish? I was born in 1963. So 97, three, four, five, six, seven. That was 34. So I'm showing a photograph of Newton when he he looks like he just graduated high school. Look at I mean he's just such a <laughs> cute looking kid. And he presented at I don't know if you remember this meeting but I do like it was yesterday. This was at the American Academy of Fixed Prosthodontics. It was on a Saturday in Chicago at the Marriott Hotel and I was a young dentist. And I had been invited by Gerald Zebert, who was the president of the American Academy of Fixed Pros. One of my mentors, he was head of Pros at Marquette Dental School, where I was teaching. And he had taken me under his wing and he had said, Dennis, you got to come to the Fixed Pros meeting. And I sat in the audience and there was probably about 400 people in the audience. And this Newton Fall guy gets up there, this guy from Brazil gets up and he, um, your presentation was on the composite crown. And Newton, I'll never forget this presentation. It blew me away. <laughs> and I'll tell you, here, here's here's what was so interesting. So if you've seen Newton, and I don't want to say that your work is flawless. All of our work has flaws. You see the flaws more than anybody else does, right? Because you you know your work and stuff. But from from the uninitiated, it was it was flawless. It was just this beautiful, beautiful work. And in particular, he showed a central incisor, and he blew it up on the screen, and the screen had to be. Oh, my, you know, is at least 10 feet tall. And so you had a 10 foot central incisor. So you take a central incisor that's 10 millimeters and you make it 10 feet. And it was this beautiful restoration. Then it just looked just awesome, blended in with the dentition. It was great. And the guy in front of me, I heard the guy in front of me say to the guy next to him, he leans over, he goes, yeah, but I wonder what the margins look like. That's what he said, right? <laughs> well, the tissue is like just perfectly healthy. The tissue looks great. There's the the restoration looks awesome. And it was interesting because I, I, I remember that. I remember that guy saying that because I'm like, all right, this is the real world. The real world is you have believers and you have non-believers. And people who are non-believers are going to find a way to satisfy their non-believing. They're going to look at this and say, yeah, but, okay, but. And whether you want to follow that path or that philosophy of treatment, that's a decision you get to make, right? You want to do it in porcelain, you want to do it in composite, you want to do it in gold, whatever it is, right? But the reality is, is that there's a level of excellence, not perfection, but there's a level of excellence. And we have to be able to accept that. 
and it may not fit into how we want to do our practice or, or do our restorations. But I wanted to share that with you, Newton, because I've never forgotten it. It was of high influence to me because I stunk at composites. I was awful. I mean, I was literally, I was awful. It was, it was, I just didn't get it. I didn't understand how to use the materials. And I, I was blessed that within a year of that meeting, I got to meet Buddy Mopper, who then helped me understand the reality of being able to work with composites and manage composites and the, the science behind the composites. And so I want to thank you, Newton. And one of the other things that you're so influential with me is I was an Everest reader of the PPAD, Practical Procedures and Aesthetic Dentistry, I think it was called, right? Back in the day, right. which I think was one of our foremost journals on showing really beautiful aesthetic dentistry. And you are a, you are a constant contributor to that journal. And yeah. I learned so many techniques and I have so many of them. I meant to bring them with me. They're at the office, quite honestly, I have them stapled. And so these are from 20 years ago, truly 25 years ago. And I still have those. And they were so influential on my learning and my understanding of layering composites and being able to see and being able to understand techniques. And so that's just me just, just sharing with you sort of my path and the influence that you had on me back in the day. And I can't even imagine what it was like as a young dentist at that age that you went up in that stage at the fixed pros meeting. So for those who don't understand, fixed pros means these are people doing ceramics and people who are doing, you know, still metal, total metal restorations and, and non Composites. I mean, composites during that generation was composites were not even considered to be a decent temporary material. Composites thought of to be complete crap. And Newton yeah. went up there and just blew, I blew me away. And I think a lot of them thought a lot of the audience by by your artistry and your 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 skills. So I wanted to share that with you before I before I forgot. So well, I don't thank know. you. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. It really blows me away to see that you even have that flyer. Please make sure you share that with me. Send that flyer because I don't have it. And I, that was the very first time I ever presented in the U.S. I was going to ask you that. That was the very first time I ever presented. And I don't know, because I had published and, and I published my article on the polychromatic which, which is phenomenal. If you Google that, if you haven't seen it, it's such a great article. It's historic. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, it's, 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 it's a historical article. It's uh, 1995. And I think it really caught the attention of the dental community. And little did I know that I was going to be speaking before the, the Academy of Fixed Pros. And, and it was a good thing that I didn't know the caliper of those guys when I walked on stage and uh, I just did my thing, you know, said, so, well, I want to share with you whatever it is that I do very naively, very naively. And, um, and like you said, there are people, there are the believers and the, the unbelievers and the non-believers and those who will praise you and they, those who will put you down. This is like everything else in the world. Uh, to me, it was a fantastic experience. I still, to this day, I have the plaque in my waiting room. I, oh. I still, I, oh, I do. I do. I have the plaque. And it's beautiful. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing that with me. It brings in fond memories. Well, fond memories for me too. I, I literally, I, there's a couple of events. I remember exactly where I was sitting. One was when I saw Frank Spear speak for the first time. I know exactly where I was at McCormick Place. I remember when you presented where I was. And I remember seeing Buddy Mopper talk to the Aesthetic Dental Group. And 
tell people who were prepping teeth for veneers that they should be put in jail. <laughs> so I know where I was sitting in Philadelphia then too. Those are like three hallmarks of, uh, of, of where I was when things happened. So I want to talk about a few more things before we go. I want to talk about your education. So tell me, how did you end up at Iowa? So you you did your dental school experience. I, I don't want to rush through this. Sorry, dude, you got a few minutes because I got so many. I, I'm so curious about stuff. Number one, what was your dental experience when your undergraduate dental experience like? What what, what do you remember? Well, that's a long story. That's that's a that's a, an altogether separate podcast. That's I have so much to tell about uh, my my dental experience, but it was awesome. I loved every bit of it. Every bit of it. I fell in love with it from day one. Again, I, I, I was sure that was what I was in for. The profession would present me with so many happy moments throughout my career. And I saw that. It was like almost uh, I was foreseeing what was to come. And I would go to class, uh, a happy camper, and, and I would excel. I, I loved it so much that I would excel. I was accepted. I entered, passed the exam, entered the entrance exam in second, and I graduated third in my class. Wow! And at, and at the time, I was working. I, I still taught English at night in the evenings wow. to to supplement my income and to support myself because mm-hmm. I I was married at the time. I had a daughter, and I had a, you know this all this my first wife, and and I had all this going. So that was uh, part of my Dell life, but I loved every minute of it. So I really worked hard to get the most out of it and to be a good student. And uh, I I just loved it. Do you remember your first dental procedure outside of like a cleaning, like in that first restorative procedure? Yeah, I remember it was a huge class one amalgam. Mm-hmm. Ah, I do. Right. I still do to this day. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Cleaning, cleaning. Yeah. yeah. But then the very first operative procedure yep. where I had to use a burr to drill to mm-hmm. then that was a class one amalgam on the lower molar. Yeah. First molar. Yeah. I remember that. <laughs> you, you must, you must remember what was yours? 20, number 27, a class three amalgam, DL amalgam on Bonnie Alice, Bonnie, uh, Bonnie made balloons. She made, she made these hot air balloons and she, she was a seamstress that seemed. And so she made the, she was part of the Levi's hot air balloon. It had like two legs and yeah. So Bonnie was my first patient in number 27 DL amalgam. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It's just like it happened yesterday. My hands are still shaking just thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So you ended up at Iowa for your postgrad to do an operative dentistry. And I I have no clue. How did you know? How do you even know about that? First of all, there's very few schools in the country, in the U.S. that have operative programs. Michigan does. Iowa does. North Carolina. I think uh, UCLA does, if I remember mm-hmm. right. But there's maybe a half dozen. How did that all happen? Like, where did you come up with this? Jerry Dennehy, Dr. Gerald Dennehy. Mm-hmm. was in Brazil in January of 1986 for a meeting in Brazil. Ah. So okay. he was lecturing there. Ah. So I saw him and uh-huh. then I said, well, that's what I wanted to do. I want to ah. do operative dentistry. And uh, before that, I wanted to be a maxillofacial surgeon. <laughs> uh-huh. I wanted to be a surgeon. And uh, but then I, you know, I fell in love with operative dentistry and I saw Jerry Dennehy and I approached him. I said, I want to come in and do my postgrad, my graduate program. 
And so I, we exchanged information. This was January of 86 and I graduated in July of 87. Mm -hmm. So during that time, I started to apply for scholarships and I got a scholarship to help me support. Otherwise I wouldn't have the finances to, to go through the program. So I applied and uh, I got my letters of recommendation and all the paperwork, the application sent in, and I was finally accepted. So I, I had no idea what Iowa was like. I knew uh, Dr. Dennehy was such a, a great professor and a good professional, and I wanted to emulate him. I wanted to be what he was. So I went after him, not after Iowa. Okay. I was wondering. So uh, for those who don't know, Gerald Dennehy is one of the, I don't know, original cosmetic dentists in the, in the countries, you know, one of the people who really started doing cosmetic dentistry and doing research on it, right? He was at Iowa and he was, he was really doing a lot of things that um, really pushed cosmetic dentistry forward. Unfortunately, most people don't know who he is, but Gerald was really just a phenomenal dentist, a phenomenal educator. And for many, 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 many years, you taught side by side with with uh, with Jerry. And it was it was really quite neat. What an you. honor. What yeah. an honor it was for me. I don't know if you knew this, but he, his master's is not in operative dentistry. It is in education. Oh, no kidding. Oh, no. Yeah. See, oh, there, there, he, he, if anyone is, he is a true educator, man. He's uh, a true mentor. That's great. Yeah. I think about you two all the time when I get to teach with Mopper. I, I do look back as I would attend your courses when you were teaching with Jerry. And, and I think about that a lot now that I get to teach with Buddy and stuff like that. It's pretty neat being able to teach with your mentor and, and I look back at those fondly when, when I would attend your sessions and stuff. Really cool. Yeah. Well, let, let me let me interrupt you for a minute and say something. Because you were saying that you had no clue what composites were and how to deal with that. And then you yeah. met Buddy Mopper. You've come a long ways, man, because what you do, you, you owe my total respect oh, for the quality you. of the work that you do, the teaching that you do. I mean, for one who knew nothing about composite to get to the level you are as an operator, as an educator, I know I kudos to you, man. Just oh, thank uh, you. And if it, anyone who's listening to us, you know, they know you, but if you haven't attended one of Dennis's classes, you ought to, because you're in for a treat. You're, you're in for a true learning experience and you're going to be razzle dazzled by the quality, by the pristine work that he does with composites. I mean, just, he's got a fantastic layering approach. He's even modified some of the Buddy Mopper's uh, layering strategies and uh, he's got his own uh, way of doing things that are fantastic. So you hey, got we're, we're not here to talk about me. So but I, I, I must say this. <laughs> Thank you. But no, I'm not. I, <laughs> hey, I'm not bragging about you. No, I'm, I'm being very honest. I'm, well, I'm being you. very honest. And you're saying a lot of things to me that you hadn't said before. And I never said this to you before. So Thank I, you. I thought this would be a great opportunity to lay it all out. Well, thank there you. There you have it. This is, this is my share cast. So I, <laughs> you know, and I will say this, look, for people out there, it's a testament to hard work. And I always thought, look, I was never the smartest person in my class. And I was never the most skilled, but I, there was one thing I had is I was, I was more determined. I was going to outwork people. And that's sort of how I went through my careers. It's like, you can be smarter, you can be better, but there's very few people who are going to outwork me. And I was just going to get better at composites once I understood what they could do. And, and your influence and Buddy's influence and later
later, Corky's influence. I said, I can do this. I just have to get better at it. I got to work harder at it. And it really was just putting my nose to the grindstone and just practicing and practicing and practicing and just finding a mentor and just working harder and just keep at it. And so for those out there, don't give up and just keep at it when you find something you love. Did you ever think about staying in the States or were you always going back to Brazil? Yeah, I thought about staying in the States several times. As a matter of fact, I got several invitations to to remain did. in the States. Baylor, Iowa, USC, Atlanta. So I had several opportunities, but I just decided I wanted to remain in Brazil and the rest is history. <laughs> Let me tell you about, uh, so uh, Curitiba, which where you are now, did I say that correctly, Curitiba? Correct. So in 2007, it was placed third of the list of 15 green cities in the world. And as a result, according to one survey, 99% of Curitibans love their hometown and would not rather be anywhere else. Like everybody loves living there. Is that, that is true? Correct. That's true. What is it about Curitiba that people love so much? Oh, it's just beautiful. I mean, it's green, it's orderly, it's clean, it's... It's low violence. I mean, I was reading about it. There's like very, I mean, it's got really, a for a large city, there's not a lot of violence and not a lot of crime. Right. The metropolitan area is three, roughly 3 million inhabitants. Curitiba itself is 1.5. Yeah, there's crime. There's crime right. everywhere, but it's it's very subdued, very controlled. And so it's, it's a great place to be. I live in an area where we're uh, sitting inside a park. So I drive through a park to go to work and I'm about four miles away. So it's nice. my driving to work, it, it makes my day. And I'm just happy, uh, you know, birds singing, there are animals <laughs> crossing the road. It's like I'm, on, like I'm back in Indiana or Iowa. I don't know, you know, in the woods. It's, how, it's beautiful. How was your first uh, Iowa winter? I'm just curious. I meant to ask you that. What was brutal. That like? Yeah. Brutal, brutal. Minus 40. <laughs> Love the I almost, I almost died once because I was walking. <laughs> I parked my car in the parking, in the grass parking lot at a walk. And I got in late that day. So I had to park away from the entrance door. And uh, there was a blizzard as I was inside the building in the afternoon. So when I walked out, the snow was up to my chest. So I had a small car, very little car. It was not too tall. So it was almost all covered in snow and I had to walk over to it. I had no idea how cold it was. It must have been minus 30 or something like that. So I tried to make it to the car and halfway through the pleura just collapsed and it just froze and I couldn't breathe in. It was like, uh, uh. and I was midway through, I couldn't go back into the building and I had to make it to the car. And I was step by step trying to make it to the car. And all of a sudden I started to go cyanotic and get blue. And I said, I, I, I can't breathe. This came to my mind. So I'm going to drop dead here. In, in the Iowa. Snow. Nobody's going to find me. They're going to find me. Into like, spring. Like a Malmut and just frozen to death. And that's, I thought, so I got to the car, turned it on. Thank God. And bit by bit, the heat came in, you know, turned on and I could breathe in very gently. And then that was, yeah, but I almost died there. Brutal. I don't recommend that to anybody. Don't ever go to Iowa. Don't live, don't live there. <laughs> You're like one of these people on Everest, right? That are climbing Everest and they die in Everest. And then they find them several seasons later when the snow, when the snow melts. I'm glad you made it. We're we're all grateful. All right, I got I got a couple more questions for you. Tell me about Grace. If anyone knows Newton, you know that Grace is. I always say she's your your right hand. She is. I mean, anyone who's taken a course from from Newton or has gotten to know Newton, you you've known Grace. How how did you meet Grace? 
Well, uh, you just hit a, a hot button there. <laughs> Grace is the love of my life. She is my wife of 20 years. We've been married for 20 years. We have no children. I met Grace when I was lecturing in the north of Brazil. So I went there and after the lecture, my host took me to this restaurant and she was there with a group of friends and I fell in love at first sight. Two and a half months later, we were married. No way. To make a long story short, I'm not going to get into this. This is for another podcast. That's all right. <laughs> That's a very romantic story. But uh, it was by the grace of God that uh, she came into my life because she's a super person. I can't say enough about what kind of a person she is. She's a friend. She is one who always lifts me up. She is very supportive of most everything I do and the things that she is not supportive of. She is a, a kind corrector of my demeanor. She <laughs> tries to keep me going the right direction. And she's just a loving girl, beautiful like anyone can be. I always tell people that I took away the most beautiful lady in town. So they still haven't found another one to replace her. So I'm just in, forever in love with Grace. And those who know me, as you said, I don't travel without her. And we had a covenant when we got married. And I said, listen, I travel around. And uh, one of the things I'm going to tell you is I've seen a lot of lecturers get divorced on account of their traveling so much that their family life breaks up and breaks down. And I've been divorced once and I don't want for that to happen again. If you're coming into my life, I want for, for you and I to be together wherever I go. Are you on this with me? Are you, she goes, we're one in that purpose. So ever since I don't, I haven't traveled, I think once or twice in 20 years, and I've lectured all around the world over 40 countries, very seldom. I think once or twice she hasn't accompanied me in my travels and she always assists me. You know, you yes, know this. She does, right? So, yeah. She's not just a, a beautiful face, you know, She's elbow deep. She's helping. She's she's running the program. Oh, she yeah yeah no. So she's she's great. Grace is my true love. The love awesome. of my life. <laughs> well, look if she ever kicks you the curb, my uh my love Angela. She's a dentist here in Milwaukee. She'll take Grace's spot. So Angela would <laughs> gladly kick me to the curb if Newton Fall becomes available. So you have a plan B if it should <laughs> if it should be necessary. So <laughs> if Angela hears us, love you. But oh, I, I know the truth. All right. I got a couple more things to ask you. What is it with all these phenomenal Brazilian dentists? You guys are like, if there was Olympics in dentists, I think you guys would be like, you guys would be up on the podium, like gold, silver, bronze medals. There's so many phenomenal dentists from Brazil. What's that about? How'd that happen? Well, that's very true. That's very true. I don't know. And I don't think I have an answer to that. I think I you're think responsible I'll, for that. I think you have partial responsibility. I think you influence a crap load of dentists, Newton, that, that change. I, I'm, I'm saying this because, and I'm sorry to cut you off, but when I was, there, there was dentistry being done around the world, right? There's great, you know, in Europe, 
Israel, Brazil, around the world, U.S., but U.S. was dominating a lot of the education and the, you know, you got Spear, Coist, Dawson. I mean, there was just great minds in, in dentistry, but all of a sudden Brazil's like just kicking A with the people who are coming out of there. And it's one after another. You guys are doing great. And I got to believe that you have inspired an, a number of these dentists that are, that are out there. I got to believe it. I mean, I don't know how else to explain it. I may have. I hope I have. Uh, why not? But I, have, I don't have a, an honest answer to that. I just know that these guys, they really love what they do. They really yeah, love. And, and, and again, and again it's, it's a matter of statistics because we have a lot of Dell schools. Have you right. Googled that up? No, I have not. How many schools are in Brazil? I, I've lost count, but we, it's over 350. No kidding. That's like well, six times yeah. the number in the U.S. Yeah, wow. It's a lot. I mean, what are the odds? I mean, somebody's got to be good out of that many dentists graduating, right? But I think that's not a fair answer to give. But I think uh, these guys, these young guys love what they do, just like I loved what I did. When I graduated and I went to Iowa, there was no such opportunity as they have now with the social media. You know, all it takes is for them to maybe publish an article and then they get invited. Everything's so easy today. When I, when, when, yeah, in the 90s, early 90s, when I started, you know, traveling, I mean, it was really hard. There was no social media. You needed to publish in peer-reviewed journals yep. to become exposed to the international dental community. Today, all it takes is one Instagram, and so you're known. But not meaning to say that they are not good. I mean, we have lots of great guys uh, with published books, a lot of talented young people, a lot of research. Take any solid, any solid, respectful peer-reviewed journal. You're going to find two or three Brazilians in which yeah. one of them. Every single issue, a lot of research, a lot of good research. Yep. So I don't know. You tell me. Maybe you know. I, I don't know. I mean, I honestly, I, I I have to believe that you've influenced a lot of Brazilians because it was not like this, Newton. When I when the '80s and '90s, it's only been like this last decade where you just see this yeah. incredible work coming out. Kudos, you know, keep it going and around the world, everybody. I mean, but there's beautiful dentistry around the world. I mean, that that for me is the wonderful thing about social media. You get to see, you know, in Iraq, you see this dentistry that's being done. You're like, how the heck are you doing this? dentistry in the conditions you are, or you're in, you know, Romania, there's beautiful dentistry being done in Romania and so many different countries and fantastic. Great. You know, they're sharing their sharing what they're doing and stuff, but Brazil is killing it, man. You guys, you guys are, you guys are gold meddling it. It's, it's, uh, (laughs) you guys are doing great. It's great stuff. So I, I want to finish up. I want you to talk about your teaching center. You know, go ahead and do that first. And then I'll finish up with my, my last series of questions. So when did you start your teaching center? I know when you did, but talk about your teaching center, how you got inspired for it and talk, talk about your teaching center. After returning to Brazil from Iowa, I worked with my dad for six months in Londrina. And then I moved to Curitiba, where I am now, because I was invited to teach at the university where I taught in operative dentistry for almost two years. So years 90 and 91. After that, I was invited to teach as a private institute. And then I taught there for five years. In Curitiba. Here in Curitiba. Mm -hmm. Curitiba. And then I, uh, in 97, it shut down. So I thought I need to open my own, Mm. which I did. The Fall Center was inaugurated in 1998. So it's been 25 years now. Mm -hmm. Congratulations. Thank you. 
It's been 25 years, yeah. How many how many students have come through the Fall Center? Uh, a little over 3,500. Is that amazing? From all over the world, from over 40 different countries. Is that amazing? I've been, I've been very, very blessed. Do you have ever imagined that you'd mm-hmm. have that kind of impact? Mm-hmm. Not at all. Not yeah. at all. No, so never cool. thought that would happen to me. It just happened. It was just by the, as I say, by the grace of God, because and I worked hard to be happy doing what I did. And uh, God graciously provided me with the ability to be a good educator, to love what I do and love sharing with others. And the reward came naturally. The reward came naturally. A lot of hard work, yep. but the reward came naturally. I love, I love learning from you, continue to, and have learned so much. And so many people I know have been, you know, been influenced and just, you know, straight out, just learn technique. And that's a great number. 3,500 people going through the Fall Institute. That's really awesome. Congratulations. That's really cool. If people want to come down and visit you down at the Fall Center, and I need to do it because I've not been down there. So I need to come down and see it all in action and stuff. What, how do they, how do they reach out to you? Oh, we have a website. They can... Look us up. Uh, it's fall, F-A-H-L dot com dot B-R as in Brazil. You might want to post that up. I will. And uh, so there is the part in Portuguese and there is the part that you have the English version. So we hold courses in English every, well, pre-pandemic every year or every two years. So we do a course. It's um, sort of a packed back-to-back anterior, posterior. It's six days with a two-day break in between because people are traveling from all over the world. They want to take the most out of it. So they do three days anterior and two days so they can visit around and get to know Curitiba and then three days posterior. And uh, we are going to hold one in November of this year. Okay. So they want to find out more about that. They can go to the website and there's a, a form. They fill out the form and we'll get in touch with them. We'll get back to them and let them know about the details. Awesome. The program information is there. So Perfect. they want to find out about it. So just so you know, I Googled Newton Fall. Do you know there's 29 pages for Newton Fall in Google? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot going on, man. Well, whatever that means. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that means, but there's a lot. So yeah, check out the Fall Institute. All right. I got a few questions to follow up. So number one, my, my biggest thing I've been meaning to ask you is uh, pick one, Pele or Ronaldo? Who are you, who you picking? Pele. You're old school. I'm the real school. You're the real school. Did you play soccer growing up or yeah, football? I was a goalie. You are a goalie. All right. Gave it up because of my hands. <laughs> Smart move. They have this thing in Chicago called 16-inch softball. 16-inch softball, you don't use a, a mitt to play. And I'm like, so we're out playing and I'm like, I brought a mitt. And they're like, they call me a, you know, a, non, a non-masculine term. And I said, I need these things. You know, these things are not because everyone who plays 16-inch softball in Chicago, they break, they break fingers. And so I get that. Yeah, yeah. Rio or Curitiba? Curitiba. Curitiba. If you're going to do uh, Mardi Gras, New Orleans or Rio? Neither. I don't Neither. like Neither. You're not going to do Mardi Gras. You want to I don't like Carnival. It? No. Car- Carnival. I like, I, I, I go to a beach before I go to Mardi Gras. Yeah. I think you got to be the right, you got to have the right disposition to be able to uh, manage that. I was introduced to, and I want to say this, pronounce this correctly. Cachaca. Is that right? Cachaca. Cachaca or tequila? Cachaca. 
All right. Cachaca is like the national drink of Brazil. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a sugar cane distill. Yeah, it's a little a little hard on the intestine for those who are uninitiated. I turn that into caipirinha with a little lime and ice and, and sugar. It's a good thing. All right. Perfect. Any final thoughts? Uh, you've been so generous with your time with us and stuff, but... Um... And, and this uh, has been no. really wonderful. I'm so grateful that you, you've hung out with us. This is a long night. And for those who don't know, this is like three hours time difference. I did not know that. I thought Brazil was one hour time difference. This, you know, there's this thing called Google we talked about. I didn't bother with it. I thought it was only an hour time difference. So I know it's late at night there. And, he, and, you, and if you look in your background, it was sunlight when we started talking and now it's pitch black. Indeed um, it was. So any, any, anything you want to share with us, Newton, I, it's, uh, it's really been just awesome hanging out with you. Oh, not really. I just want to thank you for this opportunity. I really loved talking to you, just chatting. And uh, you, you're such a great host. Oh, thank you. You, you are such, such a great host. Thank you so much for making me feel so at ease, so welcome, and uh, for allowing me to share a little bit of my nonsense. Thank you so much. And I hope everybody who's listening to this at least has gotten something out of it. So thank you. You know, we, uh, Newton and I talked beforehand and, uh, as a, when I was a young dentist, I, I so much admired some of the, the giants in our profession. And as I've gotten older and I've gotten to get to know some of the giants of the profession, they're like everybody else and everyone's got their story and everyone's had their struggles. And I think that it's inspirational for those who are either new in dentistry or young in dentistry or getting into dentistry, but even those who have been doing it for a while, I think it's inspirational to hear these stories and stuff. So I cannot thank you enough for spending the, the time with us. For dental online trainers, thank you for indulging me in my, my conversations and just hanging out with us during this, this little meeting with, uh, with Newton Fall. As always, uh, yours for Bender Dentistry. I'm Dr. Dennis Hartley, and look forward to seeing you, hearing you again on future sharecasts and on our there are other information on DOT. So thank you so much and look forward to seeing you again soon. Well, dental online trainers, I hope that you enjoyed our visit with Newton. I mean, I truly cannot imagine this world of composite dentistry or our world of dentistry without Newton Fall. It is absolutely incredible to me how so many of the giants in our field just like happened into dentistry. I mean, I just find it absolutely incredible. Well, anyhow, I hope you really enjoyed listening to the Sharecast. And if you did, we love those five-star ratings. So please feel free to do that and please share with your dental colleagues. Also, don't forget that Dental Online Training has so many other great learning opportunities from our Wine and Unwind monthly webinars, where we engage real time with you, our viewers, and we bring in leaders throughout dentistry. And we have our our evening chats. We also have our monthly coffee and donut study club mentoring sessions, our Friday morning once a month, where we review cases and we share our experience with other dentists in these little mentoring sessions. We have our live virtual workshops. In fact, we have a six tooth direct resin course coming up in June. So check that out. And of course, we have our blogs and we have our endless selection of hands-on pre-recorded technique courses to help you improve the dentistry you can provide for your patients. So check us out at dothandson.com. And as always, thanks for joining us. And as always, yours for better dentistry. I'm Dr. Dennis Hartlieb. Thanks so much for listening to the ShareCast. If you are not yet a subscriber, please do subscribe to our ShareCast wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're loving the ShareCast, share it with your colleagues. And please rate it and leave us a review. 
Also, if you want access to fantastic clinical, managerial, and leadership tips to help you in your practice of dentistry, check us out at dothandson.com or find me on Instagram at HartleyDDS. This episode was created with special help from Clear O'Neill. It was edited by Ashley Dixon Ellison and with original music by Chris Peterson. Again, thank you for listening. I'm Dr. Dennis Hartley, yours for better dentistry. Mm-hmm.